Roots and Shoots with Sabrina Hahn and Christine Layton on ABC Radio Perth and WA. Good morning, WA. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, Steens. It's so good to have you back. Oh, thank you. And thank you to Hilary Smell for filling in last week. Yeah, she did a great job. Whilst I traipsed around with Mm. the flu trying to move house, I got sick, Sabrina. I got sick. It's not a good time. You should never get the flu when you're moving house, Steens. That was really poorly planned on your (laughs) part. I, I, look, my, my husband was taking two weeks annual leave for the move and I thought it would be a really nice way to start the holidays, taking him to an indoor play centre to see our baby frolic in the mm. in the wild because she gets so excited. <laughs> she stomp crawls and she squeals and it's very cute. But now that she's 11 months, she goes into the ball pit and she mm. cleans every ball with her mouth. <laughs> and so unfortunately, on the second day of our leave... <laughs> I got dreadfully ill. I made sure Ian and Bonnie both had their flu shot. I cancelled mine when she was having a particularly long nap and never rebooked. So (laughs) so let it be a lesson to everyone. Definitely get the flu shot. It's not too late. Uh, It's not worth it. It was horrible. I was very sick and I haven't been that sick in years. And don't go into the ball pit and lick all the balls clean. That's right. (laughs) And I encouraged it because I just wasn't thinking at the time. But Mm. other people have said just stay away from the ball pit. By all means, ride the crocodile. But just... (laughs) Not the ball pits, so but anyway. But the crocodile's nowhere near as much fun as the ball pit. <laughs> I know. I often thought about those when uh. they first came in, when the first Ikea opened in um, Oh, that was a big WA. deal. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. The, you threw your kids in there and <laughs> picked them up four hours later. But I did and wonder about that, about, you know, the oh. incubation of various things. And the centres work quite hard to try and clean the toys as much yeah, as they can. Yeah, yeah, but kids yeah. work hard at this kind of stuff. They're experienced <laughs> germ spreaders. I love that at the, um, this, at the um, ball pit, you just mentioned they put bibs on kids with numbers on the back so you know which ah, yeah, one's yeah. yours. I think so that's... you didn't pick up a kid that was better behaved. Yeah, oh, yeah. one leave, that needs more assembly. I'll leave mine. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the Allen key for this one. I'll take that one instead. <laughs> 1300 broadcasting across WA. We've got some special guests in the studio. We have got my favouritest guests ever, <laughs> uh, Mike and Mandy Bamford, who are repeat offenders on, on Saturday morning breakfast. Welcome. And um, they are, well, we've had a few questions about possums, bandicoots, how to kill stuff. Mm. Um, so I thought I'd bring the other side of the equation in. <laughs> no, Mike and Mandy are actually ecologists slash zoologists or zoologists or however you'd like to pronounce it. Anyway, they know a lot of stuff about things that crawl, dig, fly and what else? So Breed. if you want to get them back into your garden, you've also got the answer. So welcome, Mike. Hello, Mandy. Hello. Nice to see you, Christine. Yeah. Great to see you again, Seb. Yes. And um, so the reason we've brought you in, apart from that you're fabulous talent and company anyway. <laughs> what are you after? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question, Mike. <laughs> this is not your first out. radio. <laughs> is that I, I really want to talk about nature. Excellent. In the garden. Yeah. Mm. So who better to speak to? <laughs> so do you, do, you, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do for those who perhaps haven't heard you on air before? Sure. Well, so we're, we're ecologists, so we study the way that, you know, all... all living things, so animals, plants, all, all live together in the environment. And I guess we're really particularly interested in urban wildlife and the interactions between people and wildlife because, well, there's so many pluses. It's It's obviously better for for looking after wildlife if people keep that connection to nature but it's also hugely important for people because there's just oh look there's papers and papers there's so much study now about the health benefits for people of being close to the environment so I guess that's that's what 
makes us rush off and want to talk for an hour about this sort of stuff because it's so important but also so exciting for mm. people. It's such a wonderful opportunity. To Mike, can I ask you what your backyard looks like? Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's Well, 30 years ago it was a paddock. Yeah. It had been cleared in the 1920s for growing grapes and then we built a house and put a garden in. The garden now looks like a sort of woodland forest with a tiny bit of what we call lawn. It's mostly weeds. That's okay. It looks good <laughs> when you mow it. And Serena will get to that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've recreated... We've got a veggie garden in Chooks, but a lot of it's native. Yeah, and I, the, the fun thing for us is just watching how things have found our garden. And so from having, you know, a magpie and a pipit, which is a, you know, a law, a, you know, a rough grass bird, now we get things like black cockatoos and even wrens occasionally. And, and it's just fascinating to watch those changes. Well, if you've got a question for Michael Mandy, give us a call 1300 222 720. They will be with us uh, for the entire hour of Roots yeah. and Shoots. So we've We're got four people in the house. We are going to <laughs> flog. We are like a tree of possums right now. There are that many of us. Um, let's go to Ray in Darlington. Good morning, Ray. Oh, hi there. Hi. Hello, Ray. Yes, Sabrina, how are you? Ah, if I was any healthier, I'd be dangerous, I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) What can we do for you this morning? Well, I I was delighted when I heard that um, Mike and Mary were uh, coming on. And um, uh, we we live in Darlington. And um, about over two months ago, uh, uh, we were... It wasn't us adopting, it was... um, this uh, Quenda, a long, long-nosed southern bandicoot, yeah. came a very young one. You know, it would just fit in the palm of your hand. Oh. And, um, yes, and uh, how we cottoned onto it, we're our um, killer canary, Cody, um, where we hang him outside, uh, all the little bits of seed and so forth, That's we saw the uh, Quenda oh. come in and start vacuuming it up right along the cracks <laughs> in the brick paving, you know. <laughs> and um, so... We, I started to put out a little bit of feed in an old um, TV dinner tray and um, he, he cottoned on to that. We put it close to where he was coming anyway. Anyway, to cut a long story short, mm-hmm. um, he, he has come to the point now where um, he'll hear the back door open and he comes around from where his empty feed bowl is to check that we're coming to put some more in. Oh, he wants <laughs> it at his TV table so he can watch yeah. the, the nightly news. Yes, yep. yes the... the, 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 the um, the, the, I don't know if it's a good news or bad news is that um, like we're finished with kids, but um, it looks like Mr. Quinder is actually, we call him Mr. Quinder, but I think we have to call him Mrs. Quinder. Oh, because, is that so? Is, is Mrs. Yeah. Quinder uh, with child, do you think? Or? Well, well, I think, uh, you know, she's got this uh, lovely little white fluffy tummy and it's now, you know, uh, dragging on the ground. And, it um, could, all, could also be like from, your, from your meals, <laughs> right? I said to Pam, I said, look, I think I'm going to have to cut back on... Because I'm only feeding a little bit, you know, like caring for wildlife and not overdoing it. And uh, then I, uh, my granddaughter was around here during the school holidays and she got to the point where she could stroke him. Oh, that's amazing. Um, look, what, what do you think about that, Mike and Mandy, um, hearing that with the Quenders? Is uh, is it okay to, f- to feed seed like that? I suppose the Quenders having a great time, but... Yeah, look, I mean, it is obviously... It's a matter of, of how much. If they pick up the odd little bit and piece, then that's fine. But but if there's being fed a lot, and particularly a lot of things like bread or even you know lots of things like peanut paste and things, it, it's it's sort of like lollies for them. So so you know a tiny bit 
that you know they're picking up is okay, but but not lots. And and you do have to be quite careful what you you know what the things they they are able to eat. But look, I think it's fantastic that they have babies. Mm. So. That increasingly with people keeping their cats inside at night, we're starting to see the quenda coming up because the adult quenda will survive with cats, but the babies are very susceptible. So the fact that people are keeping their cats in means that all of a sudden we're, we're getting babies. Is so. there an alternative that Ray could feed the, the quenda? Is there something else you can put in the garden? Well, look, the best message is... is local native plants and lots of they love roots of plants and and digging up bulbs and and insects so the more native local native plants you have the more food natural food there is for bandicoots and if there's um, a diversity of plants that are in your garden if you have a food source year round that would that encourage things like quenders to actually stay and breed in that area it, it will, yeah. It's a matter of providing coverage and a constant supply of, of food and not... If you're going to give them a little bit of supplementary food, it has to be very much in the supplementary category. Just a little tiny bit to help tide them over. And not every day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yep. they become very reliant and you may get too many of them and yeah. they can get sick. And, mm. yeah. yeah, and I guess the other thing which is really important, particularly with smaller blocks, is... Little gaps between fences. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah. Really mm. important for animals mm. like bandicoots and bobtails. So just a simple, you know, the old picket fences were great because things could squeeze through. Squeeze through but yeah. there's nothing worse than a solid brick wall for yeah. an animal like a quenda because it, if they need to use more than one garden, then, of course, they can't. So, you know, just knock a few little wow, holes so in you, <laughs> So give some thought to transport routes for, for native animals. Yeah, I yeah. never like, thought yeah, about that. It's like corridors. Mm. Actually, when I was in England, um, I watched a program on a woman that really was wanted to get bring hedgehogs back into this area. Oh, yeah. So there was a very big park near her. So she went to all the neighbours and they did just that. They put holes in all the fences. They ha- left this... this this back alley, they turned it into sort of an, a nature strip. So the hedgehogs could come from the park oh, into individual backyards through this corridor. And did they figure it out? They did use yeah, it? Yeah, and they it filmed, and they filmed, yeah. they filmed oh, wow. all the hedgehogs coming into people's backyards. It took a year. Um, and it was just so mad. Something as simple as that, mm. build a wildlife corridor and a disused alleyway mm. and then change your backyard so that it sort of provides a food source for other species. Yeah. And within one year, the hedgehogs started breeding up again. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Roots and Shoots with Christine Layton and Sabrina Hahn. We've got special guests, Mike and Mandy Bamford, ecologists in the studios to take your calls, 1300 720. Roots and Shoots with Sabrina Hahn and Christine Layton. On ABC Radio Perth and WA. Alright, let's go to Joyce, who's in York. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Christine. How can we help? Um, well, look, um, we, I have a, a standard rose. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've had it for years. And it's got these, um, all I can describe them as, these brown lumps over it, all over it now. Especially uh, where, where the, the graft is. Mm-hmm. And someone has told me they think it is gall. So I'll probably have to dispose of it, will I? It might be gall or it could be canker. Right. What's so, the best thing? 
Well, canker, the best thing for you is to go and buy yourself another rose. Okay. Um, <laughs> if there's galls, if there's got borer in them, yes. depending on the health of the rose, it should yes. be okay once the borer evacuates. Right. Um, is there any oozing of sap around where the, the lumps are? No, um, there are just really three main little branches. It's not a very big rose, yeah. not very tall. And um, I noticed that there was a hole in the trunk of it as well. Right, um, it sounds so, like Bora. Oh, okay. So, so what do I do for that? Um, well, now, a lady rang in with this surefire trick for Bora because mm, we yeah. love it when our listeners help us and yeah, share, their, yeah. share their information. So she made up a mixture with two drops of dishwashing liquid, mm. uh, some oil, a botanical oil, a spray. What would that so be? One, well, can't give you product names, oh. but if you go to a nursery and ask for an mm. oil-based spray that's organic, mm. they'll give you the gear. Um, and so two tablespoons of that in a litre of water with a drop of detergent, and then you fill up a syringe. Hang on. You... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, yeah. two tablespoons in a litre of water. Yeah, mm. two tablespoons of oil, a f- couple of drops of dishwashing liquid, Yeah. and you just mix it gently around. Then you fill up a syringe and you syringe that, that potion into the hole. Um, where would I get a syringe from? Oh, you just go, go to, to the, the chemist. No, no. No, no. It's, I would love to see that. <laughs> it's not a syringe with a needle in it. It's a syringe that, you know, you'd use for... Well, I use it to give the anti-inflammatory to my old dog. Yeah, so, no, I use it to feed... Oh, yeah. And babies. Yeah, you can yeah. put... Them. You can just get them for a few dollars over the counter at the pharmacy. And they don't oh, ask right. They don't ask questions. No. <laughs> not unless you're buying 50 and then... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And how long would I have to treat it for, Sabrina? Uh, I'd give it a couple of goes because you don't know how deep the hole is and that will the grub won't like that and it'll come out. Right. <laughs> so, um, But I don't know what's caused the gall in the first... Galls can be from an insect or from a bacteria or a fungus. There's all sorts of different galls. But in the rose instance, I'd say it's an insect. All right, 1300 We've got a question for Mike and Mandy, ecologists in the studios, if you're interested too. Vin is in Gooseberry Hill. Good morning, Vin. Good morning. How are you? Good, Good. thank you. What, what's your question? Um, our garden's overrun with quenders and we have virtually no snails. Do the quenders eat the snails? Second point, do quenders eat earthworms because we seem to have don't have many earthworms in our veggie garden or is the the um, earthworms not there because the pH of the soil is wrong? Okay, well, certainly quenders are great disposers of snails, um, <laughs> as are bobtails. So if you have bobtails or quender in your garden, you'll have very few snails. Or rats. Um, or rats, yeah. <laughs> so lots of, lots of good things there. Look, they will certainly eat earthworms if they find them. 
Um, but there could be a couple of things going on. Sabrina, have you got comments on? Yeah, um, <clears throat> earthworms come and go according to the sort of well, the, in in the in the level of soil, according to moisture, food source, all sorts of things. So usually, when we get heavy inundation, inundations of rain, you usually see the worms coming closer to the surface because it's quite sodden down below. People even find earthworms in their gutters oh. because I don't know, I have no idea wow. how get there. is this a competition <laughs> if it was how far can yeah. your earthworm crawl <laughs> that's right um, in heavy inundations you'll quite often see worms crawling up the up yeah. the walls oh I have seen that yeah because yeah, it's just too wet for them okay. down down there but um so it depends we yeah. don't we don't know whether not not sure mm. about yeah them. no i mean certainly earthworms because they're often buried in the soil they should survive quenda unless they they happen to be at the surface whereas yeah. snails of course tend to be at the surface yeah. so they're easier for them to find yeah. okay all right 1300 720 thank you vin let's go to anita who's in dunsborough good morning anita oh good morning um i'm just wondering i've I've got peaches and nectarines that are in full flower, but the leaf curl, am I too late to to do anything about the leaf curl for them? Why? Uh, well, you shouldn't have leaves on them at this time of the there year, Anita. There are a few leaves, yeah. Okay, I want you to strip every leaf off your peaches and nectarines, every single okay. leaf. Then, once you've done that, you give the you, all your fruit trees a, a liquid copper spray. Okay. So you do that when they're dormant in winter, which helps to kill some of the fungal um, pathogens that will be underneath the buds on the tree. So it's not too late because they're in full bloom? Are they in full bloom? Full bloom, like oh. beautiful. What the hell is going on in Dunsborough? <laughs> <laughs> We've had this beautiful weather and they're just full of flowers. Oh, what do you? What do you? Th- I've never seen you make that face, Sabrina. <laughs> I don't know how to digest that. So, what, um, does that change things? Well, considering that they're blooming way too soon, um, and they've got leaves and flowers on at the same time, you can't use a copper spray because you'll have bees pollinating all the flowers. Yeah, there's lots of bees all over. There. So you can't spray anything, Anita. Okay. So you could do I- it night time. <laughs> Okay. When do, there's no do bees, the bees around. Sleep? Do they sleep at yeah, night? Yeah, yeah, they don't oh. feed at night. Didn't know that. Um, well, the European bees. Oh. Um, Siesta. Yep. So, okay. So uh, <laughs> you could spray with lime sol- or wettable sulphur at night. Um, okay. But if it's going to rain, there's no point in doing that anyway. Uh, I just, I, you know what I do? I just keep picking the leaves off. Okay. Um, Thanks, Anita, for that quandary. I wonder if that's the case for other people in Dunsborough. Uh, yeah, let us know. Thirteen hundred triple two seven twenty. We've got an old friend who wants uh-huh. to check in about his tomatoes. Hi, Stecky. Hello, Stecky. Hello, uh, so Stecky is a regular guest of ours, Mike and Mandy, right. and yep. he yep. he lives up north. Um, and I think aliens visited his block about 100 years ago because he always has extraordinary things growing there. <laughs> well, did you saw those? Did you get the pictures I sent you? Uh, oh, we're just going to. Oh, we've got a lot of pictures on the text line. It's a very busy place to be um, between nine and ten on a Saturday, Sticky. Don't mind giving you extra work, but this is an ongoing thing. Oh, yeah, got it. Yep. 
Oh, I he's here. Oh, I just left him alone. Yeah, but I that's can't a, figure out what, what that's, to start to. That's a virus. That's what I thought. Yeah, I reckon that's a virus. You're have to rip them out, Stecky. Well, see, did you see on the top part? They all come back to uh, come back to normal, I go. Oh, they have too. Uh, they're a little bit wrinkled. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was thinking about. It. It's only a certain variety. How bizarre. Yeah, and the potato leaf ones next door are going berserk. They never got it. It was only just that little section there. That's only that certain variety. Okay, so that doesn't look like the potato tomato psyllid, which is good. That's a good thing, Stecky. But you've got something else weird going on. Uh, but it does look like a virus. Now, in plants, viruses are like viruses in humans. Mm-hmm. So... Some plants can get a virus and then their whole immune system actually kicks in and they manage through the virus and their cells kill the viral cells and then they carry on ta-da-ta-da like we do Mm -hmm. in our bodies. Um, Because plants are actually much cleverer than people, I reckon. They have all sorts of secret tactics that we don't (laughs) even know about. Um, So I would say it's a virus. Now, if your plants have, have built up a resistance to that virus, then they're the plants you want. They are good. So keep them sticky. Keep them and see what happens. But it is not the potato tomato psyllid that's causing that, so that's good all round. All right, that's good to hear. 1300 222 It's 25 minutes past nine on Roots and Shoots. We've got Mike and Mandy Bamford in the studios. They are ecologists, and we've got some text coming through for you. I'll start with Dennis. He said, my daughter is considering the study of ecology. Is there a demand for ecologists' vocation in WA? And is the study of soil microbiology in demand in WA as well? Wow. Short answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Increasingly, because it's such a vital part of, of looking after the planet. So, yes, increasingly there's a, a need to understand the microbiology of, of the soil because that's where everything starts, really. Mm. Yeah, and there should be a lot more of it. It's interesting. I went to a, 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 a conference, um, an ag department conference, and uh, so I said, uh, in the audience, put your hands up if you're a soil biologist or microbiologist. Mm. Guess how many were there? How many? Zero. No, oh. really? <gasps> Zero. It, it's, it's a pretty, um, is, it, is it fair to say it's a niche field? I mean, how many people get into it? I don't know. A lot. I'm not a sure. Lot. Is there a lot of people in there? Yeah. Have few, there have been some great studies done looking at the interaction of marsupials feeding on fungi and the fungi have interactions with the plants to help the plants take up nutrients and keep nutrient cycling going on in the soil and that drives forest ecosystems particularly in the southwest and understanding those sort of interactions is really important for managing forests gosh how long you want to talk about that for (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so much you know harvesting Mm. nutrients in a nutrient poor environment and of course you know southwest australia has the most nutrient poor awful soils yeah. well awful for everything except our local plant yeah. which love it yeah and, and have the right microbiology there to support them so no it's really important and okay, that's so the only reason we have the amount of diversity that we have the mm. diversity of flora mm. it, because of the diversity of microbes in the soil here so dennis definitely encourage your daughter yep. to go on yep. and study yeah. ecology mm. if, if she wants any guidance i'm sure she can get in touch <laughs> with mike get her to give us a call before 10 o'clock and, and you don't know where it'll take you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's very true mm. because i suppose you can go around the world like all of wow. you have we were really mike Mandy and I were talking about on the way in here how England and Europe are way ahead, like 
30 years ahead of Australia in terms of understanding the importance of these ecological systems that occur within the planet. And um, we, you, you, you know, you two made some very good comments on how we, we really need to start stepping up yeah, yeah. Oh, look, we do on a world scale. Yeah, mm. we, we really need to play catch up with, with the rest of the world. There's some mm. fabulous ideas elsewhere. And, of course, the other thing is our biodiversity is way, way, way more diverse than than Europe. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, we can make so many more gains. So all sorts of straight stuff. on that topic, before we take some more calls and we're going to have Sabrina's song of the, of the day as well, <clears throat> so what are some tips for those... Uh, who want to improve their backyard, want to bring um, animals back to the space? What what can they do? What are your what are your main tips to them? Oh, look, local Plant plants. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, plant stuff is absolutely it. And and not be you know be a bit lazy. So don't tidy up all every twig and every branch and and every leaf, but leave a bit of structure because a lot of things will just hide in bits of leaf litter and and twigs and things. So you get little lizards and insects hiding under things. So. But local plants is a really good key. If you stick in things that know how to grow in this environment, A, they grow, which is the first thing, and B, you know, all of a sudden you've got all these amazing little creatures that come into your garden, tiny insects, all sorts of fascinating stuff. Right, that's interesting about the, the, the leaf litter, isn't it? Because mm. that, that's fir- it's usually one of the first things that people clean up. Rake up. Yeah, mm. that's a good point. Uh, question here from Margin Willerton. Quenda moved in for five weeks, cleared out mole crickets that were killing the lawn population in nearby bush in park oh okay so not a question but a statement um so interesting about mole crickets because yeah, that, cause that's... we have the, the mole crickets well not the native one um ha, the numbers must have gone berserk in the last two years because i've had like we get so many calls, so many calls. about mole crickets yeah and mm. um i say to people the poor things are so ugly you should give them some <laughs> Oh, that's unkind. So I suppose that the solution for mole crickets is, in fact, Quenda's. Bring a Quenda in your garden. Let's take one more call before we do your your song song pick of the week. Hello, Brett in Duncraig. Thanks for waiting. How are you going? Oh, no, No. hang on, he's here. Hi, Brett. Hello, how are you? Well, we're good. good. Hiding under some other leaves. How can we help? Yeah, thanks. I've just, um, I've got two quite well-established grevilleas. So one's got the little orange marmalade flowers. Yeah. And the other one's got uh, red, so, um, and it's quite large, maybe four metres high. Um, yep. So they're, they're probably both over 10 years, well, they were over 10 years old. Now, the orange one, half of it's just started to die away this year. There's patches which are just changing colour and just dying. Mm. And the, the red one, um, I think Longestylia it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so down the bottom by the root system, I've noticed some fungus bit yellowy around the roots so I've kind of got that out but it's not looking happy either so I want to know if there's any chance well first with the red one is it is it gone or is there any way I can save it Mm, usually when grevilleas do that there's not a lot you can do about it quite often it's um it is a fungal disease it's in the root system and highly unlikely that you're going to be able to bring it back to its former glorious self Um, And Mike was nodding his head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have a gravidia that's doing that. It's a gravidia olivaceae. And it's gradually died in pieces. And I've gradually sort of pruned it back to a stump of one live branch. But, of course, it's an opportunity to plant something else. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
And, and grevilleas, that's what you expect with yeah. them. They have a, a limited life. But many grevilleas are a live fast, die young. <coughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And look, fabulous habitat while they're alive. And then, as Mike says, put something else in. It's great. Mm. You we, know, we love spots in our garden like yeah. that. Yeah. Great. You've yeah. obviously given it a good life. And, and, and that's right. Yeah. You know, maybe you can give it a party on the way out. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. Thanks for the call, Brad. Good on you. Thanks, ladies. Thirteen hundred triple two seven twenty. Um, some great texts. Uh, somebody said Quenda Quenda. Um, I'm assuming that's a play on Quando Quando. Engelbert Humperdinck, yeah, from 1968. Uh, 0437922720. We've got Sally in Albany who's been waiting to ask a question about bats and bat boxes. Hello, Sally. Hello, hello to Mike and Mandy. Hello. Oh, hi, Sally. Um, I've got little micro bats here in um, my urban backyard in Albany. Yep. And I've built a bat box for them. Brilliant. And I'm just wondering, I was thinking about putting up some little solar lights to attract moths and things at night as a food source, but I wasn't sure whether there's enough kind of light spill in the suburbs anyway and whether that would be a good idea or not. Have you got any advice? Uh, well, certainly, I mean, they will hunt around uh, around lights. Are you right in the suburbs of Albany? Uh, in the fringe. Fringe, okay. So is, so is there a bit of ambient light? I mean, there, of course, there is a bit of a, a problem with attracting animals out of bushland with too much, or attracting insects out of bushland with too much light. Um, so if you're near bushland, that can be a, a bit of a, a worry. But, um, I mean, a small amount of light, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, if there's already street lights in your area, probably probably the bats will be feeding on insects attracted to those street lights, so they might not need an extra light source to, to forage around. Mm. We're not obviously sure of your situation. I think it's fantastic you've got them already. Are they actually using your bat box? No, no, it hasn't been up for very long. Ah, right. um, that was part of my theory is that if um, I can attract a few insects, they might notice the bat box and move in. Mm. How high have you got the bat box too? Um, so I've put it up above uh, two metres so that they can drop and fly because I know they, they have to kind of fall to fly. They can't launch themselves off the ground or off, um, you know, a flat surface. Yes, and it's quite good. If you can get it four or five metres up, that may be a challenge depending on your garden, but they do quite like them if they're fairly high. So you do find them used more often if they're sort of four metres up or, or more. Yes. Yeah. I've been trying to place it where it's, you know, out of that kind of southwesterly wind and gets a little bit of warmth during the day. Is that um, a reasonable thought process? Yeah, that's great. Yep. And look, the other thing is it does take a while sometimes for, for animals to find nest boxes. So it might take a year or more. With bats, the other thing is sometimes they'll use a particular box at a certain time of year and then change when the weather's different. So, so yes, I wouldn't give up hope. It may just be a matter of time. Great, thank you. Let us know how you go, Sally. 1300 Um, Had a text from Anita to say, Sabrina, a photo of my peach tree in Dunsborough last week. Yes. Uh, blossoms so are plenty. We're getting text messages uh, from people that are sending through photos of their fruit trees in full blossom. Hmm. Um, Have you seen that before at this time of year? Well, it has been happening gradually over the last five years. Mm. So even though climate change, of course, doesn't exist in Australia, um, <laughs> there are... We're in a bubble. <laughs> there, um, this, the, the inconsistencies of fruiting and flowering is starting to happen a lot more. Mm. And because we had, 
you know, we had a very late lead up to winter and then we had glorious sunny days and so plants think, oh, it's spring. <laughs> had rain and now it's lovely and warm, let's make fruit. And then you'll get, you know, very strong winds, high rainfall, which will affect all the blossoms, which is what happened last year. Last year I got hardly any nectarines because that's exactly what oh, happened. Okay, so likely to happen again this year. I would say for so. The, for the trees yeah. that are, are flowering yeah. now. Someone said it's a crime to play this song when you have access to Joni Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 0437-922-720. There it goes. Come Let- on, Cat and Crows are a great band. <laughs> Let's go to Gordon, who's in Brunswick. Good morning, Gordon. Uh, good morning. How can um, we help? I have an anti-kin- a yellow-footed antichinus living in my shed. Oh, oh, wow. Lovely. Oh, this lovely. is next level. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. oh, Brunswick. Yeah. What a great place to live. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, we're out of Brunswick and uh, against forest country. Yeah. We, we have to... <laughs> a lot of people are not going to know what an antichinus is, Mike and Mandy. Yeah, no, so sure. t- tell right. us. So, Mardo is the, the Noongar name, but absolutely gorgeous little, very um, aggressive little tiny insectivorous marsupial. And... Um, Fabulous to watch because they're just little acrobats, aren't they, Mike? Yeah. Oh, they are. They're very dynamic. They're oh, so the size of a a small guinea pig, um, so thirty or forty grams, um, pointy nose, lots of teeth, and they're one of the species that has this rather. Um, um, female-centric reproductive system where the males all die after breeding. Oh, oh really? Yeah. I didn't yeah. never, never, never knew that okay. about it's, it's, it's quite... Sometimes you actually find dead and dying males out in the forest. Off <laughs> to you now. <laughs> yes, but they've had, a, they've, in, oh, right. they've had a bloody good night. They're worn out. It's a bad hangover. So where, where are they most likely to be found? I mean, obviously Gordon's got some... Uh, in in Brunswick, where, where else would you we've, find them in WA? We've rec- they're in the forests of the southwest, yeah. uh, and we've recorded them on the outskirts of Perth, Red Hill, just up Two J Road. We've had them yeah. uh, Gosnells, so on the outskirts of Perth, but in the forest, preferably not so much on the coastal plain. What did they look like? What they look like? They're a um, <laughs> they, they look fluffy. They look like a very small quenda in that they've got a slightly yeah. pointy nose, mm-hmm. but. Much more agile, so um, not as much of a hump at the back because <laughs> they run up trees. Yeah. <laughs> so what what is Gordon doing right that would be attracting them? Oh, he's got a forest. The thing is, the more natural habitat, they can live up the trees, they can Bush find land. lots of mm. insects and you can create that habitat in your garden. And if you are on the outskirts of Perth and you create that habitat, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Mm. I think people have to think about link linking corridors mm. if you're near yep. native bushland make a corridor to your backyard as yep. long as you don't let cats and foxes roam around your backyard um, um uh, sue on the text line has said we have a five acre property in esperance and we're trying to create some habitat last night on gardening australia they spoke of coppicing uh, yep coppicing parkland in, in, in melbourne, melbourne. Um, doable here on sandy ground with no extra watering question mark what do you think about that the idea of coppicing all the native trees uh, i'm not for it myself but i don't know yeah look i mean it's it's a tricky one because obviously mm. you're maintaining those species where they naturally live mm. but not allowing you know, if, if you're worried about branches falling on things. But I guess it does perhaps put an extra stress. Some of those species, you know, don't 
would struggle in the Esperance area would struggle mm. with um, re- repeated coppicing, mm. I think. So for people that don't know what coppicing is, uh, and I'm looking at, <coughs> squarely at Steen's here, mm. uh, is that you actually cut it off at ground level and then um, it will reshoot oh, from, okay. from the base. I've seen it done. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Yeah. So many of West Australian eucalypt species are actually designed for mm. fire <coughs> and they have a thing called a lignotuber at the base and then they re-sprout from the lignotuber. But not all, because some people yep. go and do that and then they discover that in actual fact that that species does not shoot oh. from a lignotuber at the base. And you've, and, just, then, and you've yeah. just killed the tree. Right. So um, do a little bit of research before you get out there with the chainsaw. Good to oh know. Um, Liz in Hilton did like your song choice. And so now oh, we've got good on you, one, one for each side, 1300 <laughs> Jackie is in Kawaramup. Good morning, Jackie. Um, good morning. Um, hi, Sab. It's Jackie Nicholl here. You know me from a long time ago. Oh, hi, yeah. Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just wanted to say we've got a plum, which is there... No, no, um, no blossom, no leaf. We've got a peach that had a really bad um, infestation last year of leaf curl. Right. Harvard in leaves. And we've got a um, nectarine which is um, covered in buds. Yeah. Look, I know that with all fruit trees, you've got early, mid and late flowering and fruiting, so we have to take that into account. Um but it's, it's been tricky over the last five years. And even the orchardists will say that, you know, it's been, it's been quite difficult the last five years on, on sort of predicting when flowering and fruiting is going to occur. The thing with peach leaf curl is you've got to build up the plant's immunity and that's about getting the right kind of microbes in the soil. So that arms plants with sort of mechanisms to defend themselves against fungal diseases but with peach leaf curl because the the budding the leaf drop and the budding is erratic um so you probably have to spray with the sulfur based spray three times uh, uh, in order I, to control it but of course you can't spray when the when the tree's got the flowers on it no well the, the peach doesn't have anything other than leaf so should we pull yes. all the leaves off yeah definitely oh. pull the leaves off and spray it jackie all right, 1300 Thank you, Jackie. Uh, 0437922720 as well. Roots and Shoots with Sabrina Hahn and Christine Layton. On ABC Radio Perth and WA. We've got Mike and Mandy Bamford, Aww. ecologists, in the studio with us as well for another 13 minutes, 1300 222 720. Uh, Robin in Dawesville uh, put uh, water up in your trees for possums and birds is is yep. what um, Robin has to say. Plant natives, we have precious ringtails and bushtails uh, feed bushy carrots. Our little yard feeds seven magpies, one crow, two ibis, a gaggle of pink and greys, four twenty-eights, one bandicoot, three <laughs> <laughs> iterant cat- uh, kangaroos, one bobtail, black cockies twice a year, plus 
one cat whom we keep in from dusk till dawn who has a bell. Our mother ringtail, critically endangered, was killed by a neighbour's cat. That's, no. Yeah, that's horrible and not what you want to see at all. Um, so, yeah, lot, lots of people out there doing good work in their gardens to, <laughs> yeah. to try and make room for everyone. Mm. Um, if you've got a question for Mike and Mandy, give us a call. Or if you've got one for Sabrina, that's fine too. Uh, let's go to Addy in Northampton. Hi, Addy. Morning. What's your question? I have a paperback tree in the yard, mm-hmm. like a malaleuca thing. It gets the yellow flower on it. Yeah. But it's only got green leaves kind of on the very tippy top of it. Yep. I'm just wondering, if I chop that back a bit, will it reshoot or will I kill it? No, you won't kill it, Addie. No, it'll come back a treat. Fabulous. Thank you so much. So go to it. Get up there with your little chainsaw or saw. I like to use a bow saw personally because <laughs> uh, you don't cut your arm or leg off with that's, a bow saw. That's what you need when you're mm. using them. Um, Ron is in Del Yellup. Hi, Ron. Hi. How you going, ladies? Good. Fire, fire away, Ron. Okay. Proteas. Yes. Uh, got one about five years old, the King Protea. Yep. Has grown about four inches in five years. <laughs> so, so what you'd call a slow grower. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got another six that we put in about two years ago, hopeful that they would take off. Yep. Two are, are doing quite well. The others have just got to knee, knee height after two years. Are they a different species to the ones that are doing well? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so in Dalyalup, are you on a sandy... Gutless sand. Gutless yeah. soil. <laughs> Mm, proteas don't like that very much. Well, they like free-draining soil, but they prefer slightly acidic soil. So they're the South African protea, not banksia. We're not talking banksias. Yeah, I love banksias. Yep. uh, So these are proteas. Yep. Okay. Um, I would say that... Okay, first thing you need to do is a little year... 10 science project go and buy yourself a soil ph testing kit oh i love those yeah they're good fun aren't they Mm -hmm. and um ph test your soil ron yep uh, at the 10 centimeters below the surface and then do another sample 30 centimeters down if this Colour sample goes purple you've got alkaline soils and the particular proteas you've got do not like alkaline soils. Okay. So, and it's very hard in the long term to acidify alkaline soils. So you're better off getting a species that, a protea species that will grow in alkaline soils. Okay. So some of the leucodendrons will do very well um, and the leucospermums, but the actual proteas prefer an acid soil. Okay, thank you, Ron. 1300-222-720. This on the text line, great show with Mandy and Mike. Say hello to the Australian Pacific duck. The Esperance folk could read Charles Massey's Call of the Reed Warbler, all about regenerative agriculture. And that's from Simon from the WA Museum. Does that that ring a bell? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, always keen on Pacific black ducks. Thank you. (laughs) Right, there it goes. I thought I'll just read this text verbatim and hope that it makes sense to someone. Very good. We we know Simon from the WA Museum. Wonderful, good. He's a great man. (laughs) 
Um, and, and Peter and Gosnell's Big Yellow Taxi is a suitable musical epitaph to the Banksia woodlands of the Perth coastal plain. Mm. Um, some have said that so you, true. Could, you could hear the lyrics in that one and that's why they liked it better. So, <laughs> so look, some for both sides, some, for some you know, some Joni fans, some some like the Counting yeah. Crows. Um, 1300 720. I've got Nellie on the line from Margaret River. Good morning, Nellie. Thanks Hello. for calling up. What's your question? Hello, Nelly. Do you like being out in the garden? Yeah. That's good. And you're down in Margaret River, so you'd have lots of birds and insects that come into your garden. Yeah, it's very rainy right now. Oh, is it? Is it? What do you like best about being down there? Um, when it's not raining. <laughs> um, going to the beach. Going to the beach, fantastic. So, what what can we help you with this morning, Nelly? Um, I was wondering what kind of passion fruit is suitable for growing down in Margaret River. Okay, um, I would put in. There's one called Sunshine Special. Okay. Can you remember that? Yeah. Now, Sunshine Special will fruit twice a year for you down there. Huh. It's a really good passion fruit. Okay. What kind of space what? do you have, Nelly? Where are you going to plant it? Um, we've got it, like, against the gate. Dad's just put up a trellis for them to grow on. Ah. Um, and we're wondering when should we plant it. Okay. Well, it's a little bit cold at the moment, Nelly. Not so much the outside temperature, but the temperature of the soil. So if you can hold off until... What do we know? August, until the end of August then that's the really good time to plant it out. Now, Nelly, uh, uh, is anyone in your family a vegetarian? No. Okay. So you get mum and dad to go to the butcher <laughs> and you ask the butcher if you can have a liver and when you put the passion fruit in the ground, you put a liver, a whole liver, in the bottom of the planting hole. Oh. Okay. Okay. And your passion fruit will take off. Wow, this just took a turn. I did not imagine that. Why is that? Because of what's in the liver that is so good for the passion fruit? Well, basically the passion fruit feeds the microbes in the soil. Ah, <laughs> look at, all right. <laughs> Wonderful. Are you going to do that, Nelly? Yeah. Wonderful. Good gal. Give, give us a call. Let us know how you go. Okay. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Nelly. Thanks for the call. 1300 You wondered where I was going with that. I did. <laughs> I did. But I did like that you asked, you know, what their, what their dietary yeah, that's right. selections were first. Um, some texts coming in. Scotty G said, I'm wondering what plants to grow up here in Port Hedland. I'd like to have colour in it. I want ground cover to shrubs to approximately two metres along the fence line. And I would like natives... Uh, to attract birds and lizards. So, Mike and Mandy, what, what would you recommend for, for Port Hedland? Oh, that's a... Which, which bit of soil are you on in Port Hedland? There's oh, a bit of variation yeah. there. Okay. There's some sandy areas and some pretty rough, rocky areas and sort of heavy loams. Okay, so what would you say for, well, for either? Gravity Wickermite's a great one. Oh, um, it's such a beautiful yeah, green. Yeah, mm. yeah um, if it's slightly rocky. Um, Local, local acacias. Local acacias yeah, are a lot lots up there. Of lovely mm. acacias. Mm. Yeah. And melaleucas will do well up there as yep. well. 
because mm. um, where they are, they probably have access to scheme water as well. So they might be able to water them to get them through. God, some of the acacias up there are stunning. Yeah, yeah. And I guess putting things in smalls good too because yep. it just mm. gives them that bit of a, a start. But, yep. oh, yes, you could have a stunning garden if you've got a little bit of extra water there. The mm. birds will love it. Yeah, and, and lots of the local eucalypts. So... You'd be better off going to a, a nursery up there that would that specialises in in or you, oh no you can't do that I was going to do that. <laughs> oh, if, oh, moving on oh. <laughs> if, if you have a friend with private property collecting seed then you could collect seed which yeah. is always or even if you do have a friend with private property a little a few handfuls of the leaf litter from underneath plants because mm. there'd be mm. all sorts of fascinating little seeds that would pop up yeah. from that. But, yes, certainly please don't take it from the wild. No, I was no. about to say, you know, you could always go and collect <laughs> seed and then I went, oh! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. But you can, as you say, Andy, if you've got people that have got a bush block, then you can go and collect seed. Yeah. Very handy. Mm. Um, Pam on the text line, love my bandicoots, however, my lawn looks like a learner's golf course. <laughs> Um, oh. I reckon oh. we can we can fit in one more call before we go to sports talk. The panel is going to speak to Fremantle CEO Steve Rossiter ahead of their game tonight against the Sydney Swans at Perth Stadium. That's coming up at 10, so stay tuned. In the meantime, Maggie is in South Yonder up. Hello, Maggie. Oh, hello, and hello, Sabrina. Hello. Um, yes. I live in uh, I live I live in Possum Palace. Oh. <laughs> what does it look like? Uh, well, it, it, we definitely have a Pandora the opossum as a resident in the shed at the back, um, wow. and uh, God knows how many offspring. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's Brilliant. very busy down there. But we also have a whole lot of long-tailed lizards. I don't know quite. They they have a yellow stripe down the sides of them, and they're up to nearly a meter long, or three quarters of a meter maybe. Or would have. Um, yep. Go on, Mike. Yeah, what do you mm-hmm. think, Mike? Well, half of one of the goannas, probably the southern heath goanna or heath monitor, have sort of darkish on top with a bit of yellow and and that size. I can't think of anything else that big. Man. <laughs> no. Um, great on your mice. It'll oh, absolutely. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you got anything that'll eat rats? I've got boo book owls. They'll oh, yeah. Rats. They're, they're good mm. for rats. But that's, look, that's fantastic, Maggie. That, but, that's, but the other thing that we have, and this is. This only just appeared, and I think it might be a bandicoot. I only saw this the other night, new resident, um, and there's a hole down in the native garden under a stump that goes down into the ground, uh, and it looks for all the world like a quokka. I saw it briefly out at night. It's about the size and shape of a quokka. There are inland quokkas, aren't there? There are some at Bluff Knoll. I know that there, much. There are a few little populations. Mm. Try and get a photo. Mm. be fantastic to have a photo. Send it in. I'd love to see. Can we sneak one more? Irene, uh, she has a property in Nanup. Wonders whether the nests she's finding are from Mardu. There are no droppings. Nice and clean. They make a lovely round nest out of newspapers. Last one was in a chest of drawers, another in an old sofa. I hate to say this. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a house mouse to me. Oh, okay. But but I guess if no smell, yeah. Once again, there's no droppings. I mean, mice poo all the time. Get get a photo. Yeah. Mm. I'll tell you what. Motion sensitive camera. Fantastic technology. Very true. Um, Give us your website, Mandy and Mike, for those who may have been listening this morning and want to learn more. Sure. Um, Ecologists. Bamford. 
www.bamford.id.au um, or we're on Facebook too, uh, Bamford Consulting Ecologists. Love to hear from people. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming into the studios Our and pleasure. spending an hour with us. Sabrina. Steen's been great. It has. I'll see you again next weekend. Oh, yes, you will. Have a good one, everyone. It is 10 o'clock. I'll see you next week.